Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back to Conversations, baby. Back in the saddle with Z and Caitlin, for better or for worse. Let's get to it. Z, today we're talking about disappointment. And this came up in the context of my project and some of the people that I'm working with. And there were expectations that I had of how certain people would operate the things that they would do. Basically, I'm trying to get this thing off the ground. I need some help promoting it. I need some help bringing it out to the masses. So things like introductions, uh, things like marketing, strategy, stuff like that. I was expecting from the person that we worked with on this uh, to uh, to help carry through after we produced the project. project turned out great, but now we have to bring it to the world. And for whatever reason... It's not working out the way that I'd hoped, at least not recently. I mean, in fact, for the last few months, it's been pretty good. But recently, I haven't gotten the effort, the dedication, the attention that I expected. And I'm feeling disappointed. And I'm feeling a little bit angry as well because at the outset, we talked about getting the music off the ground. And for me, it's not just about producing it and having something cool that I can point people to. It's a message that I believe in very strongly and it aligns with our philosophy at the DPO and at Dharma. It's something that I want to bring to the world. Now, I can't guarantee that that's going to happen, but I want to make every attempt to bring it to a broader audience and find that group of like-minded people who maybe we can help see trends in society a little more clearly make sense of all of the craziness that's that's happening and that ties in very closely with again our project of dharma helping people to see themselves clearly see the world clearly and in that context make appropriate choices so for me it's a big deal and i've been feeling upset about this and it's not catastrophic i mean this person is one conduit to the masses There are others, there are others that are perhaps more effective. So nothing has been derailed, nothing catastrophic, but still it's kind of grating on me, kind of like you go to the beach and you get some sand in your shoe and and you walk and you can deal with it, but it's just annoying. It's this irritation in my mind. So as we were talking about this, I mentioned to you that I'm disappointed and you break down words like you often do. And said, okay, let's take a look at the word disappointment. Disappointment. So we've appointed someone to a certain position where they have a certain set of duties in our mind that they need to fulfill. And they're not fulfilling that. So that's the disappointment. They're not living up to that appointment. And the two questions are, number one, where does that come from? And two, what do we do about it? So as we started talking some more you observe that there are two types of disappointment, and I would perhaps add a third to that category. So one is where you've got a clear set of obligations, mutually understood, things are spelled out black and white in a contract, or you've had discussions about it, everyone's on the same page, and for whatever reason, the person doesn't deliver. So that's very clearly, they're not living up to their end of the bargain. That's one form of disappointment. On the other extreme, maybe there's been no discussion at all. Maybe we just have certain assumptions about roles that people should play, ways that they should behave. Maybe we project the way that we would behave in a situation on them. Maybe even worse than that, we just project what we need, independent of even what we would do. But this person exists for me. I need something out of them. And so in my mind, I've appointed them as the person who's going to help me get what I want, regardless of whether that's a reasonable expectation, regardless of whether they're getting something out of it. So that's almost a fantasy. That's the other extreme. And then I would argue there's a third, which is in the middle, where we often find ourselves 
where you've had a discussion, you get into some relationship, some contractual arrangement, but you never spell out any detail, or sorry, every detail. You've got an agreed upon vision, but maybe you find out that the vision isn't as clear as you thought. So different people are operating under a different set of assumptions. Uh, what you thought was very clear in your mind maybe isn't so clear in the other person's mind. Maybe perhaps time changes things. So you have a discussion at one point in time and then time passes, circumstances change and people behave in different ways. So to open up this conversation, Z, let's get your thoughts on this, on those two questions. Uh, Ashley, the first one, I, I guess we've talked about, uh, we've just introduced, well, where does this come from? But if you look at those three categories, what should we do about these? And are there ways to manage ourselves so that we're not getting into this whole disappointment mode to begin with? Well, let's start with this. Um, again, I love to take language, the mantra of what we speak and give clarity to that. So when you think about disappointment, and we, I, I, I broke it down and you broke it down, I should say, into three categories. And I'll simplify that. There is the appointment of the self, there is the mutual appointment, and there's the appointment by others. So if you run up and, and, and I run up to you and say, Vin, I can do all this for you. And you say, oh, that's great. Do it. And you don't do it. That kind of disappointment. There's another type of disappointment where you say, I expect you to do these things. And the person doesn't do it. So you've appointed them and they didn't live up to that appointment. Then there's the one where we mutually sit down and say, what are the things that we're going to do together? What are my duties to you, your duties to me? What, what are we going to do together? And when we don't do that, and that's disappointment. And each of those has a particular remedy. It has a, a particular style of displaying the symptoms and the signs of, of when, it, when, it, when, it, when it's become uh, untenable, unhealthy. And so for all of us, we want to think about when we're disappointed with people. And if we categorize disappointment in three ways, we know for sure we can control one way. And that's what we appoint others to do. And being very careful with that, because remember, it's not mutual appointment. It's unilateral appointment by you as a separate individual saying this is what they should do. Most of the time when we walk around and we see people angry or disappointed with someone, it's because we've appointed them to do something without coming to a mutual agreement. So there was an article about the people who work at Starbucks talking about the ridiculous things that people ask for. And they talked about the Starbucks policy that they said each customer should have 45 seconds. And the, the order should not take up the whole side of a cup. I didn't know that. But they were interviewing these Starbucks people and they're complaining about the outrageous orders that people have and why people get mad. Why do they get mad? You appoint this bistro as some sort of surf or subject of your whims. And they don't serve or, or subjugate themselves to your whim, now you're mad. You're disappointed. You're hurt. You're angry. You want to kill them because your mocha frozen spicy latte was a little too spicy latte or whatever it is. So that's the one where you can make corrections. What do you expect from people? What do you really expect from people? And so expectations and assumptions are inherently a risky place to lie a foundation on. So I observe all the decisions a person makes within my eyesight. How do they normally behave? What are the things that they do in their life that I can then come to a reasonable assessment of what they can do when I'm interacting or working with them? Are they normally on time? So if they're not normally on time to appointment, I won't really expect them to be prompt. Thus, I won't be disappointed by them. If that person is not known for keeping their word, 
they don't have to be malicious, but some people, just the nature of how they live their life, they're overwhelmed. So they're frantic or frenetic in everything they do. So you can't really expect them to give you 100% of whatever they say they can because they overcommit. You follow what I mean? And so I also look at more subtle things in people. If a person is overly burdened by the concerns of others, they may tell you things to please you that they can't necessarily follow up with. I warned you before, when I see people who are slaves to contemporary fashion, that for me that reveals something about that person's temperament that says, I want other people to like me or to appear. So I want to, I'm imagining that being engaged in fashion whims will make me attractive to people. I believe that what I'm doing makes me attractive. So I see the problem with that way of thinking. So now that person is imagining or thinking what other people are thinking of them. So they're overly concerned with external validation. So those people inherently will have a way of missing true connection moments because most of their world exists outside of them. So they have the latest flower jeans on or peacock hat or whatever it is. So the minute I see, okay, they're very concerned with being trendy. In doing that, you've externalized your essential self. That doesn't mean you can't do a good job. But if you want that person to be vested in you and focused, that's not going to happen. But they can still do a good job, what they do. So there's ways that you work and you assess people so that you don't project onto them things that you want them to be or do or point them to certain positions. Don't appoint a thief to be the head of your bank. But if you do knowingly appoint the thief to the head of your bank, build in the losses that will be incurred. Just like dealing with people. When there is the mutually agreed upon appointment, I will take this role, this position, and I will fulfill my duties accordingly. Do we agree upon that? Yes, here's the handshake, here's the contract, here's the certification of the deal or the arrangement, and then I don't do any of that. You make a, an agreement, you appoint your plumber to come in and redo all your pipes. You get home and nothing's done. You're disappointed for good reason. Now, the other way is if the person brags about all the things they can do. They can't do any of it. And now you're disappointed because you bought, you took their word. And in that case, that's why I say you go back to what I was saying, where we want to look at that person. And through their actions and behaviors, we get a clear picture of what their ability to displace the burden that they presented themselves to. And then you have less disappointment. Disappointment in itself is very toxic, especially the former and latter type of disappointment. In the latter, the person is promoting themselves in a, far beyond their means and ability. It's like going on, I was telling the kids the other day about when I was younger and dating. I didn't go to nightclubs too much, but every now and then I would go because I'm a great dancer, but I don't drink, I don't get high. So going out is, is kind of hard if you're a non-alcoholic or a drug addict. I don't know how it is now, but it used to be the thing. When you go out, you would get wasted or you buy drinks or something like that. So I would go out and I would dance and I would catch girls, right? And every now and then. So I go out and there was this beautiful woman. Meet her and I'm having my regular drink, which is cranberry juice and seltzer water with a shot of orange juice. 
I don't know what they call that, a bloody virgin or something. That's a Shirley Temple. Like no, I don't drink that. So it's, I don't. I don't drink a it's Shirley. It's definitely Temple. not bloody anything. Well, it's not a Shirley Temple. I'm. I'm a, not the kind of guy that would drink <laughs> a drink called a Shirley Temple. So anyway, whatever it was, it's cranberry juice, and orange juice, and for little girls. What? <laughs> okay, Caitlin. And she had whatever uh, seven and seven, which was, I guess, Seagram seven and seven up or something. And I'm thinking, this girl's gorgeous. We go home. Much brighter light. She was all costumed up. She had things that kind of changed the body proportions. To say the least, I was disappointed. And now that I'm disappointed, I'm figuring out how to get out of this situation. I'm trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. So that's the kind of disappointment where I have, it was a double whammy. She misrepresented herself and I projected onto the situation what I wanted. I appointed her to be the beauty of the evening and she projected herself as that. Very, very sad, very sad, very sad. Now in life, and you think about the situation that you found yourself in the other day. A lot of that was you were projecting onto the person and they were going along with your projections. They read you enough because they wanted to please you in that moment. But under all that, you had an idea of getting a significant amount of richness out of that interaction that that person may or may not have the capacity to do because their focus is externalized. Your project is internal. You're very passionate about it. You love what you do. You believe in what you do. Some people don't believe in anything. And you, you want to know that so that when you appoint those people to a position, you know where they're best suited. And then we don't find ourselves in these positions of disappointment, where you're trying to squirm your way out of a situation like I found myself, or where you're walking around just really feeling like you got the bad end of a deal, which maybe isn't the case. And in terms of salvaging and redressing, let's take a few steps back, let's deconstruct this, this train wreck and see how it happened. And in all these cases, you'll see one of the three disappointments. In a family group, like when, as you're a parent, you know your children pretty well. And you know the kids who will clean up after themselves or the ones who will sweep dirt under the rug. So you learn to assign them tasks and duties worthy of their appointed position. And they live up to those and you'll never be disappointed. There's one kid that you can trust with the car keys and the car. There's another one you know you can't trust with the car keys in the car. But they can do things together and you know their, their appointed roles in life. But if you expect or ask them to do something out of that appointment, you will be disappointed. So let us all think about that in situations in our lives that we all experience on, on a regular basis, if not on a daily basis. We go, wow, that person let me down. You know, did the UPS guy come when you wanted him to? A lot of people are upset with the Amazon guys. Just has nothing to do with the Amazon people. They're just people working their grind, right? They're just working their grind. And the packages come, traffic is there, and you're standing out there looking at the tracking number and the emoji on your phone, wondering where your box is at. And then when the person gets here, you've projected onto them the joy and sorrow of your, your consumerism. They have nothing to do with that. You've projected into your smart device, your little box, that is going to bring you this, war, this wealth of joy and this climactic experience when you open your fresh box of laundry detergent you just got from Amazon that the little emoji was showing you as it comes up to your door. Now, if it's delayed, you want to kill the driver. I want him to lose his job. 
my detergent didn't come at third, you know, at, at 101 when it said it was going to be here. It came at 115. Oh my God. This is really happening. So see, this disappointment can drive you to a very negative space as it was doing with you. And what I want to do is try to mitigate that stress because we, we have enough stress, more overwhelming stress, just getting through the day. And if we can take some of that off the table, we've gone a long way. I would say, in the form of disappointment you're experiencing, go back to my early words and understand what does this person do? What are their capabilities? But also understand the character of these types of people. Are they more internal or more external? Do they care more about the quiet reward of duty or the sensational pat on the back by random people in the world? And once you answer that question, you can understand your strategy of appointment with anybody you deal with. Every day we navigate different personalities and temperaments. And the flux of those personalities. Look, we got Caitlin here, right? Caitlin has recovered from the cancer, but she did a lot of meds. It pushed her into some kind of faux menopause, right? That's what these meds do. Suddenly she gets a cat and a purse dog, a bunch of stuff, stuff like that. She gives up on life, on relationships. And and she's a little, you know, a little itchy with us, if we can say that. And so what I've done is, it doesn't disappoint me because I understand the meds, right? Um, the drugs, detoxing from the drugs. The cat. Add that to the whole, and then we know that there's going to be things that we can't do with Caitlin anymore. So we don't put her in those positions. Look, she just got in a fight with you over a bottle of water. That's not the old Caitlin. But we shouldn't be disappointed by that, right? She suddenly, for those folks at home who know Caitlin's lovely woman, um, she's come through an amazing journey. She beat the cancer, but... She's like a shell-shocked veteran from the Battle of the Bulge where artillery was raining down on her for 48 hours straight in the middle of chaos, mayhem, and casualty. The next day, she's back home hitting the block, okay? Low PTSD. So, of course, now she's scared of germs, water, and she has cat pictures everywhere. <laughs> and, and, and so we're not disappointed. We understand She's been through this this hellish experience. And she's a little bruised by it, if we could say that. But we're not disappointed, are we, Vin? Not disappointed at all. We understand. So part of relieving disappointment is understanding, as I said to you early, the capabilities, capacities, the temperaments, and conditions of the person you're dealing with. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I follow easy. I mean, personally, I'm a little bit traumatized by the violence that Caitlin displayed to me earlier. <laughs> but you're right, I get it. I, I get it. I don't hold it against anyone. If So if I think about what you said, I really like the way that you've put this. You have to understand the temperament, the capacities, the conditions of someone. Because that middle category is a bit fuzzy. I think the first category, hopefully we're self-aware enough to know that we can't just expect people to do things and create expectations in our mind and hope that it pans out. Maybe not. Maybe sometimes we do that, but that's something that hopefully we can avoid. The second category where we have a discussion with someone and there are certain expectations, we feel like we're on the same page, but maybe they're overpromising. Maybe they don't even realize they're doing it. Maybe they want to do it, but they can't. Maybe, as you say, they want to please you. Maybe you're projecting something onto them. And that's the one I want to explore because that's where I fit in. And I think that it's interesting to me because 
if I step back, you've heard of this uh, term, caveat emptor, buyer beware. So things aren't always totally black and white. You can have people who make promises, but you've also, you also have to be able to use your own judgment, your discernment to figure out whether what they're saying makes any sense, whether you can rely on them, rely on the representations. So I think about these phishing scams that you see on the internet, and I haven't seen them so much recently, but back in the day, you would get these emails, oh, I've just inherited $13 million from some prince in Nigeria. I just need you to send me $1,000 and I'll wire you the money, which is a, such an obvious scam. But there are a certain set of people who relied on those warranties. And why did they do that? It's probably exactly what you're saying. It's that they're projecting their hopes. Maybe they get greedy. Maybe they don't want to miss out. Maybe they're lonely. I mean, you see a lot of people who are elderly, who don't have others around, who are victims of scams because they just want someone to talk to and they feel like this person is their friend. And maybe they project a certain amount of intimacy, which isn't actually there. And then they're vulnerable and they end up signing away their life savings. So this caveat emptor concept is pretty well established. If we can apply it to relationships, that's what I hear you saying. Uh, which is we can't just rely on what someone is telling us. First of all, it's complicated because the way we take in information, it's not just what someone is saying, it's how we perceive that. So our biases are always going to play a role in what we expect and what we're hearing from someone else. So we have to be able to check our own biases, know what we're likely to be projecting onto someone. And also, as you're saying, be aware enough to recognize the nature of the person that we're dealing with. And part of that could be history. So what have they done in the past? And part of it could be personal references. Part of it could be some of the things that you're saying. You, you size them up and you look for patterns of behavior. You look for values. You, you look for things that might signal what role you can rely on them for versus what role they're just not capable of delivering. So that's what I want to get into now because I've always found your ability to read people fascinating. You do so much of this just as part of your job. You have people who come into Dharma and the ego is always there. So if there's something that is ailing them, whatever their limitations are, whatever their own culpability is for that condition, they might want to hide it. They might want to put themselves in a better light. So they're not always going to give you the full story or they'll give you their version of the story, leave certain things out. So you have to be able to size people up and get beyond just what they're telling you and understand the the broader context, the character, the patterns, and then you're in a position to help them. But that also carries over. That's a useful skill to have because if you have that in life, when you deal with people, you know what to expect. And we can avoid this situation that we've been talking about where you're appointing people to do things that they're just not capable of. So Z, maybe you can talk to us a bit about your process, either when you're working with people here or you're just dealing with people in general. How do you size them up, number one? And number two, whatever biases you have, whatever projections you might be susceptible to, how do you check that when you're interacting with people? Well, Vin, as we are, are talking about you know, my experience with people, um, why I'm rarely disappointed by people, because I never... I tend to never over-project. I try not to. I shouldn't say never. Never say never. But I listen. And it's it's not unlike the etiology that I do when I get a patient or client that I'm working with. And I, I have a few, um, a few templates that I use, if I could call it that. And you've heard me say these things. Anybody, Caitlin, all you guys hear me say this. I always say that the body will speak a truth the mouth will never utter. So a person can sit in front of me and they'll say all kinds of stuff and I'll listen. And I'll say, okay, what's really the problem? Stop lying. You've heard me say that over and over to people. All you guys, Caitlin, everybody, you hear me say that to people all the time. Because the body is telling a story. A very primal, primitive, very raw, very natural, very base story. That naked beast that houses your soul is like the house you live in. It's something 
that a used car salesman told me one time. He said, whenever I buy a used car, I know the condition of the car based on how clean the person has kept the car. Because most of the time, if a person keeps the interior of their car clean, they do regular maintenance on the car. I said, wow. So he's doing his own etiology, so he's, he doesn't have to go to the mechanic and pull the plugs and check the compression. He pretty much knows if a person has that momentum of care for that vehicle, that they're probably doing regular maintenance on it, more than likely. So I have my own system with people. I look at the facial affect. I look at the cast and gaze of the eyes. I understand how the brain works and when they're searching for a story. Are they looking in the left or right hemisphere? Are they really vague when they speak? Do they speak with do they speak in problem? Like there's one problem after another. Do they speak in projection? Do they speak with apology and disclaimer? Caitlin speaks with apology and disclaimer. You tell that all the time. Whenever you're talking to Caitlin, she commits to nothing. She's like Sergeant Schultz on Hogan's Hero. I know nothing. I know nothing. I've heard rumor, but don't don't use my word. I will not co-sign anything. That's Caitlin, right? And so it goes to a certain type of anxiety, a certain type of worry, um, a certain type of desire to not be committed to something, right? And anybody that walks in, I look at people, their um, executive function. If I see an extraordinary number of tattoos, I know that this person lacks executive function. Not good at certain decision making, bottom line. After that, what made you get the fifth tattoo on your face? So I, I, I look at people and then I go, hmm, they must have been, and sure enough, I'll talk to the person. And they say, yeah, I went through some rough times and I say, I got a lot of tattoos all over me. Oh, that's great. Okay. Now let's get to the problem. So when we talk about relationships with people, as, you, as, as I've said to you all the time as we work on this project, we're going to meet people that are more mercenary-like. They want to take the money and run. If the project works out for them, it's good. If it doesn't, they don't care. One of the things that I've done with everybody that we've worked with, as you know, and where my hesitancy was and why things were kind of slow, is I wanted to work with people that developed a some mutual concern or in our project so their investment not only would be based on being conscripted and paid, but they saw a value in the project, right? So we really struggled with that because that's something I look for because I feel like if we have people working with us that are truly invested in the success of the project that is being gestated, then we're going to get the better product. Even if the person isn't of the professional standard that we would like, if that person is truly vested. And the reason I do that is because I understand the nature of, of attachment. I understand the nature of ego. People want to say, I'm a part of this, right? They're going to work harder if they feel like their name is on it or if it will elevate their social standing. This is a common characteristic in people. Now, if you just get a mercenary who's shopping around and just sees that there is a, a, a vacuum somewhere and they can feel that, they're going to get it, take the money and run. And uh, it, it's not the best way to do it. Those people could still be good. They may still deliver a good product, but it won't have the warmth that, that I was uh, wanting or looking for. And I also look at the things that people say when they're not sane. If they speak always in a way where they're hoping that I will be okay with them, I know that the person's ability to be trusted is not deep because they're concerned with being liked 
is greater than their concern with doing the best they can do. So, same way when I deal with people with health issues, the pallor of skin, the gait of walk, the list of the body, do they favor their left or right side? Do their eyes hunt and blink or do they are they able to focus on one thing? All those things, the posture, you know, I talk about that all the time. I look at the plumb line of posture. So there are certain things, anxiety mechanisms that cause a person to hunch and roll their shoulders forward. When their head is tilted forward, I know that they're deeply engaged in their prefrontal cortex, so they're not present. They're already somewhere else, either in the past or future. So I can know what to expect from that person within a range of expectations. Thus, when I challenge or task them to something, I won't be disappointed. I struggle sometimes with people uh, when I tell them to take it easy in their um, health management regimen. And they're over and over, right, Kate? I tell people, be less athletic. As people say, that's counterintuitive. Shouldn't you push, push, push? No. This is for your health and well-being. You're not going to the damn Olympics. So what I want you to do is be able to stay in a a movement model, an energetic model that is sustainable and nurturing. So first I want you to learn the skill of being in the self. And then that skill of being in the self, as you get better at it, the body will follow. The body follows that. And yet, no matter how many times I say that, you'll see people saying, do I have it? Do I have it? It's like when we were boxing today. And I was saying, focus on the rhythm. And you got frustrated a few times. I'm not getting it. Then you wanted an explanation. Well, you've only been there for 10 minutes. You're not going to get it in 10 minutes. Nobody's going to get it in 10 minutes. Why? Is no one going to get it in 10 minutes? Because there's nothing to get. It's something to be. So to be it, you have to invest yourself in it and lose who you were to become who you're, you are. It's a process. So being process-oriented, be journey-oriented as opposed to goal-oriented, be into the process. So when we understand that and we read each other, we can find that we are less disappointed with people when you find and cultivate the attitude and temperament of being process-oriented. So when you're disappointed with someone working with you, you want to see where are they at in terms of process orientation as opposed to goal, deadline, volume of effort, right? That they're counting, they're stacking their bricks versus uh, whatever they're offering you, their time, so that person, if you want them to be with you and love your project the way you love it, that's the wrong person. It's like finding a nanny for your kids. Finding the right person for your kid. You'll find, and as you find it, I found. It almost has nothing to do with the amount of money you pay. There are certain people who will like your kids. Most readily available are mercenaries. They might babysit your kid one day and sell their kidneys tomorrow to the highest bidder. You know that. You're all you know, when you find the that's why when we find the right person to to work with our children, we're never disappointed. When we project upon those people the love we have for our kids, we want them to love our kids the way that we love them, we're very disappointed. Because we projected onto them something that they are not. They never said that they were, they said they would do a good job. But that's a very vague and subjective term, good job. Good job to who? Right? So when I read people, I look at things, I look at their sense of, their idea of appearance or presentation. What do you want to present to me? What do you want to present to me? That's why I've always felt comfortable with people that had a, almost, you know, hey, a Popeye attitude. I am what I am and that's all I am. 
Oh, look, at, look at poor Caitlin. She doesn't know how to dress. Nothing. Nothing. We send her to the Manny Petty place. She has no idea what that is. But she's just her. She's just Caitlin. It's very uncomplicated. So we're not, we don't get worked up too much, right? She's reliable, reasonably reliable, right? Does her thing. I mean, it's weird right now with the cat and stuff like that, but. You just hate cats. Oh, no, I'm, I'm very fond of the, the feline uh, creatures. I think they're great. Um, yeah. So we we want to be able to read situations and then be very careful on how we appoint people. I have We have all manner of people here that there are certain people that you know will empty the garbage. Certain people won't. My disappointment comes when what part of empty the garbage don't you get? But I also calm down because I realize that they're dullards in certain ways. So <laughs> I, I, then if you accept that they're dullards, then you're never disappointed. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, what you're talking about is a mix of hyper-rationality with some kind of mind-reading ability. I mean, not literally mind-reading, but I'm thinking of like a David Blaine who goes and gets women to guess numbers and guesses what's on their mind because you can read them and then they sleep with them. Because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a combination. It's an interesting mix of characteristics that we need to avoid disappointment and navigate this life. I mean, on the one hand, you need more of the intuitive side, which is about reading people. On the other hand, you need to be just very rational in how you're approaching people and recognize that there are limits to what anyone can do. And if you've got a certain task at hand, you're trying to create a machine to accomplish a goal and you got to get the right parts in. So you have to know what you're dealing with. And if you've got the wrong part, you don't spend all your life asking why it's the wrong part. Why is this, this square wheel not working? Maybe I can adjust it. Maybe I can give it a little more time. You say, no, I need a round wheel to get on the car, uh, to do the job and take me where I want to go. So that attitude, in my mind, is a very useful one to cultivate. I've heard other people talk about this. I know I've mentioned this in the past on some of our podcasts. There's this hedge fund manager, Ray Dalio, who's extremely successful. And he wrote this book about his principles. He had something like 200 different management principles. And after a while, it just got painful to read. It was like the same thing over and over. But his point was literally that when you're trying to solve a problem or build a business or whatever it is you're doing, you're creating a machine and you have to think about how the parts fit together. And in fact, you have two roles. So you as yourself are both the architect as well as one of the components. Mm -hmm. So if you're not a good component, you as the architect have to say, okay, maybe I suck at podcasting, but I still need someone to podcast. So I'm going to swap myself out and bring Caitlin in or Jante in or whatever. So you need that level of awareness, that ability to step away from the situation and put all the pieces together in the right way. So I like that approach. One question I have for you, Z, is this whole thing about reading people and knowing what you're getting into. So you've been doing this for a long time. I would say your skill at this is above what most of us can do. And even at your level and your experience reading people, there are times when you're just not going to know or you get it wrong. How certain do you have to be? So if you're getting into a relationship with someone, sometimes you don't know how things are going to turn out. You don't have 100% clarity on their character. But there's always a trade-off in life because time is that one constant that keeps on turning. And we can't spend forever waiting for the perfect person. At the same time, we don't want to get into a situation with someone who's not going to work out uh, or get them to do something that they can't deliver on. So that's a waste of time, too. And I think back to what Colin Powell said, uh, which is making decisions under uncertainty. And he was saying that, yeah, you're never going to have perfect information, but act when you have about 60% of the information. So you're at that 60% assessment level. That's good enough. If you spend any more time, you're going to waste too much time and you're going to lose your position. So when you think about this and you deal with people, what's your experience been? I mean, how many times are you wrong? 
how willing are you to get into bed with someone that you, you don't have a full understanding of? When are you willing to cut your losses? Walk us through that. I'd say I'm, I have an 80% accuracy rate. Better than Colin Powell's 60%. And I read the body. I also read the circumstances. And I know myself. And I know that you can have flawed judgment within your projections of hope. You know that from working in, 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 in certain businesses that if you project hope onto people, it will cloud their judgment. And that whole idea of the whims of fate working in your favor, that's what drives us to play the lottery, right? We all know that the odds of winning the lottery, I think was a billion to one or something, or two billion to one. But every now and then you roll the dice. Every now and then you roll the dice, right? Same way with people. If you're lonely and you're on, um, what's the thing you're on, Caitlin? Cat datagram. I'm not um, on any. So she's on the datagram. I am not on any online dating site. What happened? Since the cat? No, I just, I don't You like got this. off of it? Okay, you're not on any. No. But you were on, what was it called? Twitter grind or something? Okay, so she was on that <laughs> and it didn't work out. Um, she was on the, the grinding. It didn't guy. work. No, I just didn't. It was You weird. couldn't meet a guy that was interested in you. And um, I, Actually, but I had so many to sift through that it took too much time. Even though you weren't on the site, you had so many on the site that you had to get off the site. There you go, Caitlin. Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody knows Caitlin. Send her a, a, a happy face emoji. All right. So, Caitlin goes on these datagram things and, and she... <laughs> When she's lonely, she's very disappointed. When she doesn't give a dance, ah, I don't expect that much. She's able to read better. She's able to be able to read these characters out. So in my experience, I found that if there is an appetite that is unfulfilled, the hollowness of that appetite will affect your judgment. So you have to discipline yourself. So I've been able to be pretty much 80% on and in terms of the read, also considering, as I said, know yourself. You may have a desire for something to work out. You also can have a negative component to that, um, another negative component, which is you can be overly pessimistic. And you could bring into that a necessary negative component. I'm sure it's not going to work out. And even while it's working out, you're saying, I'm sure it's not working out. I won't find a good babysitter or a good employee. And you find a good one and you're just waiting for it to go bad, right? So disappointment becomes such a, a, a faithful companion that you seek out disappointment in people. You hunt it down. And eventually you'll find it if you continue to hunt it down, just like the disappointment Caitlin has found on going to the grinder sites. And, um, <laughs> Grinders Whatever ones you I don't data, data cat what do they call I don't data cat I don't know uh, cat people dating what 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 do you call <laughs> She's on all those she sits on all day that at the computer That would be a good idea though there, I wonder if there are cat dating sites She's not wondering folks she's actually knows all about it she's an expert at this kind of thing but she's acting up because she's on 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 the podcast So you will find disappointment first in yourself. What you are expecting, projecting, not looking at, avoiding, right? I remember someone saying one time that they only wanted to date people within their religious sect, their religious group. And I asked the guy, I said, what are the qualities you're looking for in a partner? Well, I want a beautiful woman that's kind of like smart and modern and fifth. I said well nobody in your religion does that so you so the guy is still single 60 something years old never found the right woman within his his cult and I said because your cult doesn't do that the things you're at so you've set yourself up for disappointment you see not unlike Caitlin so <laughs> what we can do is really work on being clear with people's potential, their capacity, and who they are. 
Then overlay that with who you are when you're working and building teams, be it intimate teams or be it um, uh, work-related teams or creative teams. And that's what we're trying to do with Dharma Media. And it takes a little bit longer to find that familiar and common group of people that share those goals and objectives with you and have a degree of passion that is comparable to the creator's passion of the project. It's always going to be a challenge. But if you force it, you will always find disappointment because you will overlook certain features. And so as we move forward, I would say, everyone, think of the three types of disappointment. The disappointment of you projecting onto someone or situation. Or the disappointment of, of someone selling you a bill of materials that doesn't deliver. It's like never buy an extended car warranty from an extended car warranty company. They, you will be very disappointed. You know how they had the thing where you get a, you get a used car and say the warranty's worn out, but you can buy an extended warranty from this extended warranty company. They have never fulfilled the warranty. But they sold you that idea and you bought it. So you just bought disappointment. So don't buy disappointment. So what I'm telling Caitlin is go to the right website for companionship, human companionship. <laughs> um, don't go to the sites you've been going to where you meet guys that aren't interested in women or whatever, because she was going to some site and all the guys were really handsome and cute and they had their faces done and hair was done nice. And she said, well, how come they're not interested in me? I said, I don't know, but I think you're on the wrong site. Go to Cat, Cat a Date. Okay? <laughs> and, and that'll work out. You follow me, Vin? Dear God, that's such a bleak picture. Well, but no disappointment. Bleak, but not disappointed. And wildly inaccurate. Always appreciate your perspective, Z. I would say this whole thing about being disappointed, about going around with hope and projections, I like the way you put it. Don't buy disappointment. To me, the corollary to that is if you're going to be in the disappointment game, sell disappointment. At least you can make some money doing that. But let's not buy disappointment. Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A. Media.com.